Welcome to Things Survivors Wish You Knew, a Dressember podcast where we talk to survivors of human trafficking, commercial sexual exploitation, and abuse to find out what they wish the rest of us knew. I'm your host, Blythe Hill, and I'm here with my co-host, Stephanie Schindler. We are delighted to talk with Larish McGee in this episode. Larish is a business owner, mentor, teacher, speaker, hairstylist, and all-around badass, in my opinion. In this episode, we'll hear from Larish about her firsthand experience with vulnerability to abuse and exploitation that comes with systemic poverty and prejudice towards Black communities. Because abuse and exploitation are heavy topics, please practice self-care before, during, and after listening to this podcast. Pause the show if you need to. We will be here when you're ready. We're so thankful for Larisha's time and energy as she shares what it was like for her trying to exit her situation of abuse and exploitation. Keep listening for Larisha's insight and ideas for what advocates might be able to do about difficulties that many women, particularly Black women and girls, continue to face. Once upon a time, you believed you could change the world. At Dressember, we're here to tell you that you still can. For the last 10 years, advocates have joined together each December to speak up about the issue of human trafficking and raise money for prevention, intervention, and survivor empowerment efforts, all while wearing a dress or a tie. Do you want to be part of a community that's changing the world? Sign up for this year's Dressember Style Challenge. We have all the resources you need to be an active part of a community working for the dignity of all people. Become an advocate today at dressember.org slash fundraise. Larish, it is so good to get to chat with you. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yes, thank you for having me. I'm so excited. <laughs> yeah, and I just got to say on upfront, so if anyone is wondering, if anyone's recognizing Larish's beautiful voice, it's because she was featured in the December documentary that we released last fall, November 21. Mm -hmm. And yeah, such a, such a powerful story that you were able to share with our community. And we're just still so grateful that you were part of that. Thank you. And I was honored to be a part of it. Thank you. Oh, awesome. (laughs) Um, so today we're going to chat with you a bit about abuse and exploitation, some light stuff for for a Friday. Um, But I'd love to chat with you on like specifically how exploitation and um, race overlap and exploitation and prison involvement. And we're going to, we're going to really get into it today. So let's really, let's go, let's dive in. Let's Um, educate the community. So that's, yes, Uh that's, that's the goal. Number one. So um, when we're talking about abuse and exploitation specifically, what factors do you think make someone more vulnerable? Yes. Well, I'll explain from my point of view, what made me more vulnerable, I believe was the fact that my mother was, um, in the eighties, I'm a 30, I'm a 40. So I was born in 82. So unfortunately we came from pop. I came from poverty. Okay. We had a great life though. We didn't, I didn't know I was poor, but my mother did not know about crack cocaine. What a lot of people didn't know African-American culture was, pretty much giving this drug to ruin the community and it worked and they didn't know they thought they were partying just like any other 70s you know drugs so so I was a part of that and I think that abuse and trauma from that and just a lack of um, people don't understand in the in poverty 
in the ghetto, we're not taught about things like um, credit and we're just saying, you're supposed to finish high school, don't get pregnant. Like that's all you're taught in those generations from generation to generation. You're not really taught about finances and, um, you know, what your life can be, you know, if you go to school, if you don't get pregnant, like you, you're not taught those things. Okay. So you don't know about those things. And so you become um, easy to be influenced by anything. You know, you don't have money a lot. So when things come around and you need money, sometimes you do those things because you don't know, like you don't really realize the repercussions of what a felony is or what a misdemeanor is. So when you were born poor and poverty, things like that, things of um, to get money in certain ways become just survival mode, you know? And I think that's what makes it easier for us to fall into things like abuse and, you know, just doing things for money, you know, selling your body, selling drugs, it becomes the only way of your survival, unfortunately, Um, because you don't know anything else, you know? So that's what I feel like me, it led from that, just me being green of uh, what my life can be versus what I just saw all the time because of my environment. Yes, I think that a lot of these vulnerability factors that you've uh, discussed certainly point to how abuse and exploitation can be a really intersectional issue. So if you are vulnerable to it because of poverty or because of familiar history with um, drug use and, um, you know, like you said, if you're taught to just get through high school and don't get pregnant, like, do you have access to other education? So uh, a huge intersection with this, as Blythe noted before, is race. So I'd love to talk about how Black women and girls are disproportionately affected by abusive and exploitive situations. Yeah. Well, as I started to get more education, got older and started to realize that, you know, I am living in a different world than other people. How come those people are driving that and I'm driving and I'm not? How come I started to just question when I got out of where I was and started to explore other areas of the state, like go to L.A. on train. Like as I got older, start to or meet different girls like in high school and went and spent the night at their house. I started to ask questions in my head as a young person. I was like, why? how come my life is different? So as I started to do research, I started to realize that it's purposely separated like that. So I've noticed that America does a really good job at separating poor and rich so that it's hard to, and if you do, you're lucky, you're blessed, whatever. But for the most part, I know men has have never left Compton. <laughs> okay. Because either they're not comfortable going anywhere else or they literally can't because they would get hurt why would I have to leave the ghetto if I don't know anyone in the rich area? Why would I see a beautiful beach house if I don't know anyone that lives in a beautiful beach house? Uh, you know, it's just separate. And I'm telling you guys, that's all it is. Separate segregation is still here really bad. Okay. It's not, it's not really the mind like that anymore. It's more of environment. It's still separate. Even though this is a rich country and it's plentiful, sometimes it still feels like we are just scraping a barrel you know, just to stay alive. Like I, I have to work 10 times hard to get a credit card, mm. <laughs> you know, so I can get a salon. Like they won't give me the money. And it's like, they know who I am. They know I'm black. They know the copywriters know 
that this is Susie Lou and this is Larisha. She's white. I'm going to give her the money first because I think she probably know what to do with it better because she's had a better life. This one is probably going to be a little hard. She's probably going to be late because she's African American. Her mom probably had drugs. Like they know these things. So they're going to tell me I need to work a little harder to get that money. And then that does something to my psyche that makes it harder for me. African-American women by themselves because our partners are trash <laughs> because they're depressed and because they're also men are suffering even worse than women like men black men are suffering really bad because they're being racistly profiled all the time and so it's just like it's just a constant like ugh. so it's hard to be African-American everywhere because all racists don't like us you have to just fight through it you have to just ignore you have to be you have that tunnel vision like right now I'm just I don't you can't pay attention to those things uh, you just have to pray and just ask God to just bless you somehow and just help people and you really just can't pay attention to those things because it'll constantly keep you in a depressed state and you won't prosper that way so you just have to keep praying just have faith and just have positivity and just pray for people that are ignorant in those senses. Pray for copywriters. Sometimes I do applications. And I just pray that the copywriter is not racist. <laughs> you know, you just, you know, then sometimes it's it's hard to walk out of the street. It's hard. Sometimes it's hard for you just to leave the apartment because, you know, you're going to suffer from some type of um, unfairness, you know, some way. By the end of the day, there's going to be some unfairness on my part before I come back home. And you just got to just know that. And, and and to answer your question that I had to explain it all that way in a circle so you guys really get the fact that little things like um when you when when you realize a, a black woman is in prison because of these things that, that that's where it started it's like she 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 was really pure at first and then she went through that 360 of all that I just said probably 10 million times and now she's in prison and she I met a girl that literally was from Tennessee and she was um, 21 and her mother was on drugs. They didn't have any money. She stole a box of tricks and the judge gave her three years. And this was done two years ago in Tennessee. And it's like, really? Really? Because I could, I could count a whole bunch of times where a whole bunch of people did a lot worse and didn't do any time. And this girl is 21 and she, her mom was on drugs. She didn't have no food. She stole a box of cereal and she did three years. In prison, yeah, the judge gave her three years. You know, I don't think that would have happened to Blythe at all. You know, it's like you know that, but you don't want to do that. I don't want to separate us either. I don't want to separate, but it's like you see these people are getting treated better. You know, you have you, you know, it is what it is. You can see it's blatant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To let you know, yeah, we still don't care here. See, so sit down and give what you get. That's what that's kind of how black people are treated. Look, here it is. See, yep, we still do it. Here you go, blah. Now get what you get and shut up. Like that's exactly how it is. And so we're angry sometimes, you yeah. know? Yeah. So that's how it goes. Well, thank you for, thank you for sharing all of that. I think no it's worries. like, it, it is a really good picture of like, I mean, what you described is like, not only are the cards stacked against you yeah. um, because of all these systems of mm-hmm. like racist systems essentially, but yeah. then also when you're living in poverty, there's mm-hmm. no, there's a total lack of options. Yeah. Like yeah. pathways out are kind of non-existent or, or really minimal. Like mm-hmm. if you, if you find one, you seize the opportunity that you're still going to come up against one of these systems, yeah. like better not make a mistake, even one tiny mistake, mm-hmm. because 
it's going to come down hard on you. And that's but people like, are people, heartbreaking. And that's the only sad thing, like computers, like a computer can like do my car loan and yeah, but a human's doing my car loan. So I have to make sure I know everything so that they don't bamboozle me because they did um, surveys all over the nation a few years ago. And they like paired like African-American couples, white couples, Spanish couples, and Asian couples. And they paired them all. They all went out to like all these dealerships secretly applying. And guess they purposely made all the African-Americans with better credit and better income than all the rest. Purposely. They did that, right? So all the African-Americans are part of the study have better credit than all the counterparts, all the white, Mexicans, Asians. They all have, they picked a couple of Black people that had better credit and had more income, purposely. And at the end of this thing, Black people still got the worst deals out of all of them. How? Mm. So then they started to say, you should go online. <laughs> they tell you the only way you can stop this, go online. And like, but we, do you know, uh, Shakresha is not Veronica. You know the difference. So it's like the name too. That's why I gave my name, my kids regular names. I gave, so they have at least a little bit of, so I, I didn't get, I didn't make up names. Cause that's another thing. Names will give you away. Okay. So their last name is English. Their dad, thank God, it's Ainsworth. And I said, Cheyenne Anthony. I just, you know, just so that they don't, at least they have a chance for they get in the door. <laughs> That's the first thing I thought about when I was 21 having kids. I was like, I'm not doing these ghetto names because I only at least want my kids to be able to get in the door at least, you know, and then not to, you know, not see the name and then it goes in the trash because it's Bunquisha and all that. And it's like African-American name, you know, different. We think, you would not even think you have to think about that. I know Black is like crazy. Like I'll never have to worry about that, right? But yeah, we have to worry about things like little bitty things like that. You know what I mean? You can't control anyone's heart. You know, it could be a law. All the laws could be like that. But people, you can't change people's hearts and their minds mm-hmm. and whatever fears they have, whatever uh, whatever they went through or whatever they were taught as a child. That's what we don't have control over. And that's why there's still problems because you, you that person's heart has to be changed. The law is, means nothing. You can have all the laws in the world that says don't do this to them because they're that. You can't do this to a gay person because they're that. If this person feels that way, they don't care about the law and they have power. It's mm. Whatever's going to happen is going to happen. But we have to change the hearts of people and we just have to pray and just ask for um, strength to deal with these people. I, now at this point, I just be feeling sorry for people. Like I don't take it. I don't feel any less. I feel like I'm better than them now. And I'm like, I pray for you. Mm. there's something wrong with you yeah i used to be the opposite way like that's no fair i used to like get angry but now i'm like oh lord they need some prayer they need help mm. yeah i think okay when it comes to like hearts and laws changing it's an interesting that's an interesting point because i think i think it has to be both you know especially um like okay not just people that, that are breaking the laws but the people who are abiding by them, you know, like that Tennessee judge that you mentioned, or the, um, I mean, any number of victims of exploitation who go to the police for help. Mm -hmm. Like that's part of your story, right? Like try, like asking the police for help and just being like, yeah, like you're supposed to help me. I'm a victim. And they don't see you that way. I'm going to be honest with you. It's not even the police. Like even I went to another, I'm not going to put their name on here, but before I went to the police, I went to another beach um area like i guess you could say like catholic charity 
um, place. I'm not going to say the name of the church, but I went to another Catholic charity place before I went to the police, right? And I asked. The counselor said, you know what you should stop saying? He said, you should stop saying you've been exploited because that's probably why you're not getting help. I said, well, that's the truth. He said, well, what they're going to think, he said, no, what they're thinking is that you are just like helping him. <laughs> I'm like, what? Yeah. So I'm like, you just need a break, like, but you're still with him. Like, so I would just stop saying that you are being exploited at this moment and just say that you just need help. So I said, so I got a lot. That you were yeah, helping so. your exploiter? You yes. You were basically him. like, yeah. So like some of them thinks, and that's probably some have done that, which is a bad thing. And they're like blaming, like they're going to put that on everybody else. But I guess like some girls have, or they think that I need help. My exploiter is telling me to do this so that I can get a place to stay and to get other girls from there and to recruit them to come out of there and help like that. Mm. So sometimes they don't want you to say that because they'll think, oh, you come in here, then you're going to tank these other girls. No, that's like a recruit. Like, no, 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 no. So it's like, that's crazy because you can't do, I need help. That's not what yeah. I'm trying to do. You can't judge everybody by that. You know, you need to have some better systems in place to stop that. You can't not have me come in here because of that, sir. You know, and no. it's like, I, I should be able to tell you this, the truth. No, I think it's, Another bias to come against when someone who's supposed to be helping you is instead assuming the worst of you and not believing your your cries for help or like not validating your asks as truths. Yeah, can you believe in they're working in these fields? And, and they're literally telling the guy before that. So I said, okay, well, now I said, well, I'm just gonna go to the police then. And he was just like, because he didn't have no help for me there. And I was like well, he was just trying to tell me like i think it's because you're saying because i told him this is like the 10th place i've been to can i get some help you don't have a child too because i didn't have my ch children i was just a single woman so he was like and you don't have any kids with you i was like what okay so i was like all right and then i so i went to the police and he was just like very just his face was like okay um well i don't know like uh and i was like so he was like well this is like he pointed across the street like gave me a pamphlet like well there's no across the street. there's like a shelter across the street and here's like their information you can go over there and see what they could do and i'm like dang this is the police like you don't want to know who he is and where he where i came from and maybe you guys can get they he cared nothing they he wouldn't just, even take a report yeah he looked like looked around like well why are you here at the police station literally that's how i felt like i was at the wrong place and that's what happened. So I had to walk across. That's how I got a whole cast. He literally gave me a pamphlet and was like, my shoes were raw. I showed him my shoes and everything. They're like, the soles were missing out of one of them. I was like, I literally been on and off the bus because some the drivers would not let me stay on without money. Please, can you help me? He's like, well, what? So basically he was like, well, I don't know anything about that. So, but there's a shelter across the street. So yeah. So I told him everything, like all of everything. And they would, he was just like, nah. He didn't call anyone to come. He didn't ask a woman to come talk to him, like nothing, you know. So like, okay, wasn't busy in there. It was like I was like me and two other people in there. Like it was weird. I was just like, okay. So then that then those thoughts come to your head. Like, yeah, if I was a white lady walking here with that, he'd be all on it, you know. Then you just have this like, be, like I don't like that feeling because it's like we have an extra tick on our shoulder, like an extra chip on our shoulder for life. Because that's what we're thinking is in everybody's heads when we feel like we're being mistreated or like no fair. And that's a horrible chip to have on your shoulder because sometimes it's probably not even the case. 
But that's mm-hmm. the first part. That's the first thing that goes through my mind. I'm like, oh, I'm being treated like this because I ain't Caucasian. And sometimes I've noticed certain times, like, I really was tripping. Like, I'm like, no, it, just, it was just a policy. Like, you know, but it's like, damn, now my head is all messed up now. So, yeah, he sent me across the street. And then I was just on the phone for, like, hours calling everybody. Just, Thank God I ran into, like, cats. And, like, and they understood everything. I could tell them the truth. And I could say whatever. And they, they didn't judge me. And they were like, okay, no, we're going to get you some help. You know, so. Thank God, though. But he at least did that. I mean, we give him that. He least, he, least, he, least, he, least, he least, well, he, he didn't. Bare minimum, right? He like, at least, least sent me across the street. <laughs> a little crumb on the on the bare minimum. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah so he, you, yeah. I mean, you kind of yeah de- dealt with like that apathy of like, I mean, I I hear you. Like someone, it's um, it's like being told you're not worth. Yeah. Providing help, like. Mm-hmm. Like I, it's not worth it. Yeah. Um, when like, no, you, you are worth, everyone is worth help. Yeah. Everyone yeah. is worthy of, of help when they're asking for it. Absolutely. Have you, have you known anyone else who's been through a similar experience to you who, instead of facing that sort of like apathy actually faced like, like maybe they were arrested or seen as a criminal instead of as a victim? Yeah. I've known girls that just went back out. And just went back to the traffic because they were like, damn, like, I, I'm hungry now and I don't want to, like, I'm just going to go back. Mm. No one's, you know, helping me. And that's really the worst thing. It's like, and then they just take more abuse because it's like, because sometimes you are, like, when you're trying to find help, sometimes you got to go through a lot of embarrassment in order to get mm. the help. Sometimes so um, invasive, like, or you have to go through first the non-believers and then like, oh, okay, you are really needing help. Like, first it's like, oh, you just need something. And I guess, I guess it's awful, but I guess it's like being a police officer is like, they think like half the time, I guess people are lying because they don't want to go to jail. So they think they first, they got to get through the, like the first, they're going to think this big big thing, a book of lies first. So first they're going to, you got to penetrate them feeling like you're lying. And then something has to happen to where they're like, okay, you're telling the truth. But sometimes you don't have time for that, them to go through that. You need help. Like, I don't have time for you to figure out if I'm telling the truth or not, sir. Like, I'm not a liar. I need some help. Please, can you help me? And that's sometimes the same with wherever you go. Like, sometimes they want to figure out if you really need help first. And then, so you got to go through that. And that could be very irritating because you're like, I'm ready to get help now. I'm not trying to explain all this all the time. Or sometimes it sucks because like, I wish I'm that's another story. I'm not gonna get into the homeless thing. But the thing is, sometimes you have to go through a lot of um different people and saying the same crap. And then it's traumatizing because you have to relive this crap. And just to get a room or just to get some help, you have to first talk to this lady, you gotta talk to the lady, you gotta talk to the lady, then okay, now we gotta get you. Now we get me like, damn, I'm freaking drained now. Like, never mind. I'm just gonna go back on the street. Mm. I got that. You know, so sometimes it's like one time I was just like, I just want to say I'll just sleep in my car. I'll just sleep on the beach because it's like silence and like no one's judging me. No one's doing anything to me. You know, no one's asking me. I don't want to go through these questions. Like, I just want some help. Literally, they'll make you go like a literally like a, a questionnaire, like a like a um, medical questionnaire of two, three pages of questions that you got to sit through and they got to ask you. You don't people don't go through that after they've been on the street for weeks and weeks. I just want to go somewhere and lay down for a second. But in order for them to get their funding, in order for them to see if you're eligible, for if you're a right fit, you got to answer 100 questions first. And it's like, oh, God, dog. So that is something that also, like I said, the girls 
people that I've known also have told me that at the middle of it, they're just ready to go back on the street. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm like, no, Mm -hmm. you know, so. Yeah, it's so unfortunate um, just to see how when there's a lack of trauma-informed training for police officers, for people working at shelters, for anyone that you would go to direct help for. With this lack of trauma-informed training, they end up like being complicit in this cycle of re-victimization. And that and, and what you're saying that people are just like, this is so tiring. And I'm 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 doing so much labor just for someone to help me. Like it's really not sustainable. Girl, that's not even half of it. I could get really get into I could get into even like let's say when you do get there, right? When you do they're like, okay, you have to go get a TV test and you have to go get this test. And you gotta go to the doctor. And now you can't come in here if you have marijuana in your system. And you can't come here if you've been drinking. And you have to get clean first. And then like I'm gonna tell y'all one more thing that's a little off, but it's the same a little bit. So like the homeless pop problem, right? When I was actually saved, and actually did get into a program on Skid Row, and I finally made it somewhere into a program, um, when you're eligible for like a, a government assisting single, like a halfway house to try to like migrate you out of the shelters, there's like one other little SRO, they're called Skid Row Housing and Trust, SROs, all those, right? Those are government programs that help the homeless get off the streets. They're singles, capacity, uh, efficiencies, right? They have tons of rules. And that's another problem why we still have home. I'm telling y'all now, the problem is there's too many rules. These people feel like they're kids in a, their own place. I'm going to tell you why. Do you know when they put you in there, your children can't come stay with you? So that's why a lot of them go back on in the tents because they didn't know that. So they go through all this paperwork and all these forms and all this appointments to get this place. And they realize that their kids cannot come or they can't park their car in the parking lot. It's only for the staff. Or they have to have each guest sign in and use an ID. And the guest only could be there for five hours. Like, people don't know. These people want to stay on the street because I try, like, I want to have a meeting with the, with the, with the mayor and tell them these, these rules are ridiculous. Would you want to be in a place of spirit where you can't do what you want to do? So guess what the best option is? Get a tent and go back outside? Because at least I don't have... I can do what I want. I, I can have a, 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 I can have someone come visit me in my tent without signing in and then them docking me for time because the person, then if they do want to spend a night, guess how much I got to pay for my boyfriend to spend a night if I'm in there? $5. I got to go get a money order for it too. So these, a lot of these places, because of, I guess, I don't know, the, uh, they want to organize so much to where these people don't feel like people in there. And that's why they still, it's the homeless problem is. And I've lived it. And I want to actually talk to someone about that because I feel like I can help people understand also that my neighbors were like people with the signs and stuff. Those are my neighbors. Mm. Those are people I I said hi to every morning on Skid Row. Those are people that I personally know and that died in these places from overdoses. So I know the transition from them trying to get off the street, exploited, abused, to finally doing it. And then being so sad that they did all that to have all these rules that they feel like they're not, it's not worth it. And they'll go back on the street. That's another issue. And which ties into also what we're talking about today. It's just so many rules, which is fine. We need rules. We need that. But I just feel like at a certain point, it's like, it just takes away from the, like, you know, like I, now I'm better. 
after 10 years, this is my first apartment after 12 years, excuse me. That's my first apartment since um, I've gotten off the streets. I've been wow. in shelter programs all this time. First of all, I couldn't afford it first. So I finished cosmetology school and I'm able to afford it. I have a steady income, thank God. Mm. But the average person, do you know, I, the average person, I, I just know that God blessed me with the mental capacity to deal with it because the average person who gave up a long time ago, you think what I have to go through just to get here yeah. and actually just been able to go from that little girl that was, well, not the little girl, but in my head I was, but that yeah, young lady at 20 something years old. Now I'm 40. I was homeless at 27. I'm 40 now. And it's my first apartment mm. since my homelessness at 2009. Do you know, that's crazy. 27. That's a long journey. And you know what? Guess how the majority of women gave up a long time ago for dead or in prison already because it's, it's too much going on with trying to get on your feet. Mm-hmm. But I had a, I have a, I, I'm just really strong minded. We said a lot of people are not strong minded like me. I just had, I just like, I was not, I'm not going to go back. I don't care what I got to go through. A lot of people is not like that. Mm. They're not like that. They're just like, oh, I'm tired now. I'm just, I'm giving up. It's just, you know, so. Yeah, that's why I'm here to help with this our podcast because I want the girls to know like you have. I just want people to know like we have to change some little things about certain things to make it to where these people aren't giving up so easy. Not make it easy. Not saying no rules, but I don't know. Like um, I don't know. We need to. I just want to educate because I don't have. I don't know what else to to say mm-hmm. or do or help. At Dressember, we approach human trafficking as an intersectional issue recognizing that there are multiple overlapping forms of systemic oppression involved. With this in mind, we created the Dressember Network, which is comprised of 20 different organizations supporting programs in advocacy, prevention, intervention, and survivor empowerment. When you support Dressember, you help dismantle trafficking holistically and in a way that prioritizes survivors' needs and voices. Make an impact today at dressember.org donate. I definitely see you trying to mentor folks and from such an empowered position, because with all of these rules that you're talking about, it doesn't sound like these systems are trying to empower people and give them opportunities to find a better life for themselves. Um, And so I just hear you saying these rules, these rules, these rules, it sounds like they are not informed by the people who are actually having these lived experiences in that if they were people would feel like their supporters were walking alongside them like they would understand oh maybe I need companionship because this is really difficult so why are you charging me five dollars for this or or if I need housing I might have marijuana in my system and that doesn't mean that I can't I I can't not use it in the future or I won't let me tell you something. You think I'll be out here all day and this and that and all these problems outside and I can't have some marijuana in my system sometime to relax? Like, come on. Like, that is, you shouldn't even, you should have crack in your system. Who cares? You're trying to get on your feet. Like, right. these people, you're like, oh, you're like, oh, I can't come in because I got weed in my system. Okay, well, I'm going to stay on this. You know, but now I have another set of problems. So now I can't even smoke. Like, it's like, come on, y'all. Yeah. It's like an issue of, like, an issue of meeting people where they are. And there just needs to be more of that and that's where the helping and the healing can actually happen because you feel right you'd hopefully feel safe enough to trust that this person is trying to help you and then you want to work with the program but not if they're saying every single thing about you 
is not accepted here. Like, that's not encouraging. <laughs> it's just like when they're trying to get the people out of the street, it's just like, or from abuse or exploitation, when they're just trying to get out and get like an apartment, they're, they can't afford these that I have. I'm just blessed because I have a career that's it, right? So they have, they're most likely going to be on SSI. And this is everybody. This is people that has been exploited um, on drugs, abused. Now that they seek help and they stop these things, they don't understand that they don't have the skills to afford these kind of places. They don't have even the knowledge or even the education. Some of them still can't read. They've been um, exploited for so long, 20 some years sometimes. They don't know how to go get a job. So sometimes they have to be on low income. And the only thing they can afford are these, I'm not going to say that. Okay. The only thing they can afford are these efficiencies that are from these government programs. And then they say, I want a car. And then they find out they can't even park in there because this is for staff. And they're like, what? Yeah, how do you think that you make you feel? It's not the same. How come Larice can have her apartment? Oh, this is three thousand dollars. I can't afford that. So, so you telling me since I I did all this work to get on my feet, and it's the only apartment I can afford because it's two hundred dollars. Thank God, I have I get eight hundred dollars a month from SSI, and I can only afford two or three hundred dollars out of that because I need food and clothes and all that other stuff, right? Eight hundred dollars trying to stretch it best I can, and you know, I'm trying. I'm not supposed to drink, drink alcohol, smoke, do drugs, right? Okay. I'm supposed to be a citizen now, right? Okay. And you're telling me I just did all this work and I just got, and I'm happy. I went and got me a car prime for the first time in 30 years because I'm not smoking it up and I can't park here in a building that is beautiful and that I want to park. And it's only for your staff. And then when I come down, I see all these open spots because you only got four staff. You got 25 parking spots. <laughs> that's a little thing, y'all. But let me tell y'all, when y'all are down there in these places, that's a big deal. Yeah. Y'all would think, the high guy is like, you got a place to stay. You're not on the street. You should be happy. That's what they're thinking. They don't understand that you could go to your house and park underneath the stall. I can go to my, I have my own parking stall. That's a blessing. Just those, and it's because it's LA. Yeah. So now guess what? So now this person has to park outside and has to find the parking and be stressed out. Cause guess what? You think downtown LA parking is easy. So guess what they accumulate now? Tickets. Cause they're sleepy and it's four. Now they got to get up seven and move it. And it's, and it's, and they're like, you know what? I'm just, I'm just going to be homeless. So that's what I'm telling y'all. Like the, you know, those are the, those are still the rules going on today. And that's why there's still people that say, forget it. I'm out. Peace. I mean, I'll just, whatever. <laughs> you know, sometimes you're like, man, I can't even park in here. They got me tickets I accumulated. Cause I couldn't park in there. Y'all would think that if you say something is small to everybody else, but it's a big deal for someone who finally like, oh, now I got on my feet. I'm not doing drugs. I'm in a car. That's a car is a big thing. It's like basically a normal person getting a, a, a house for the first time, or a business, or 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 a commercial bill, or 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 winning the lottery. Like it's a big deal for them to do that. And it's something so small for us. They they um you know me getting my car and, and a license. I've been had that. That's not a big deal. But for a person that's done drugs and been for over 20 years, 30 years, and had a, a person that's taken their money or is beating them, and now they have to finally the strength to stop it. And it's finally, and then realizing that they can't park in their own place. That's irritating. It's it's not a good, it's not thought through. <laughs> like, no. like, oh, the lit, like with someone going through this process, this is what's going to happen. And that's, that's going to be a big deal. And the fact that it's not thought through, okay. But then when it happens, like a, a good organization, a good system is going to respond to like 
you know, it's going to learn from things like that where like, oh, we're seeing that people who are progressing and like, yeah, this person was able to get a car for the first time in 10 years and now they can't park here. That's a problem. Like seeing it as a problem and listening to the people that they're serving and then adapting one more i just have to mention it and please mention it pocket it's a big thing also for people that's been exploited abused for all these times on drugs and that finally get to get in these places the reason why i'm stressing this out is because they can't afford anything else okay and these are places they have to go and this is happening all over la this is what's going on now okay a lot of times also they can't have their children come this is a big deal, right? Because now they're on their feet. Now this children is going to be the healing part because now they can have their kids come. Their kid, children are not allowed in these places because the neighbors are, some of them are pedophiles. Mm. So they're not only sharing these apartment complexes with ex-pedophiles because pedophiles are also can't get, it's hard for them to get places in around other places, right? So it's like, they're putting all these like criminals, all these low income, they all in one pot. Like this one, okay, this is where all of them go in this building. All the pedophiles, the people that is finally got on their feet, has been exploited, this and that, low income, poor, we're going to put them all in this building. All these rules, they can't do this and that, that, that. That is very traumatizing for a person that didn't know that. Or even if I said they do know that, and they're like, dang, it just still makes them sad. They're like, I'm going to have to go see him at a park. Or I have to see him at someone else's house. You used to feel like crap. Cause I have to share this building with this person. That's cause these these guys abuse kids all their lives, so they can't get apartment in a regular place. So this is the only place they can get a place, and I got to share a building with them because I'm low income. And now my kid can't come here because there's a chance that he'll hurt my kid. You know, mm-hmm. so the whole car, the whole company says no kids are allowed in this door because we have to house pedophiles, and we're mm-hmm. we're not going to take that responsibility. Did y'all know that? That is so like re-traumatizing for survivors of abuse. Let me tell you. So I was a part of that. I was one of those that said, oh, I finished my program. Oh, I get a fish seat. Oh my God. And then all the time I'm trying to get my kids back. And I'm just like, what? And when I talk to the counselor, they can't come. They were like, he's like, no. He's like, it's all like he's, then you know what he said? He said, you got a place. You should be happy. I said, well, I want my kids to come. And then the next month, I said, oh, I got a car. Can I get a park? So he said, you can't park here. No, because we got everybody parking. Everybody running to each other's car. They're saying that because we're poor, right? You know, we've been exploited. We So they're saying they don't think we'd be able to not hit everybody's car. He's like, I'm not going. This company's not going to deal with you guys hitting everybody's car and getting into it in the parking lot. It's not. I'm not a regular person just because I've been exploited because I'm, you know, because I'm low income. I can't, I can't park right. I have a license. Wow. That led to me. I was like, I got to get out of that downtown LA. I got to get out of the skid row place. So that's when I thought, you know, so that happened first. And then, so I went, so there's before cast, all that happened. Cause I told you I I was he- getting helped on skid row. That's when I went back into exploitation, you guys, mm-hmm. because I was like, I can't, what, I got depressed. And I just left it because I'm like, this place is disgusting. And then I, I, you know, and it added to my depression. Then it wasn't fun anymore. Then I wasn't happy for myself anymore because I was like, this place sucks. I can't even, this is still jail to me. Mm. I can't do what I want to do here. So I went back to exploitation. That's when I went back. On, that's when I went back. To, and I met my exploiter. And that's when he was like, it's supposed to be my boyfriend, but they mm. play games with your head. They make you think you're a boyfriend or not. So he said, this, this, this is how I got real in. So I wanted to explain all that so I could show you guys how I got mm. real in. Boyfriend, right? 
I'll get you out of here. Let's just go get apartment. You want apartments? We can get the kids back. We can get this. We can get that. Mm. And then when I went and okay, so he's like, look, I'm, I do this. You know, I, I have records. I can't be going to work. So let, let I'm gonna show you how to get this money. I'm gonna show you how to do this. I'm not gonna judge you. I, this is the fastest way we can get this money. I love you. You're my girl. You you know I'm still gonna have sex with you, but you're gonna do these things so we can get there faster. We can get our own place. We got and this that's the game. You're like oh all right well you know and I had a record at the time you know and so I'm just like uh, okay well I gotta do it for us and all my kids and then it's just like a lie. It's like a reeling lie that they use to dangle you like a you know and then you're green. You're desperate. You want your kids. Um, you think it's your boyfriend, you're like, oh, he's not going to judge me for doing these things. Okay. You know, then you start giving him the money and then it doesn't, it's not that. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, oh my goodness. And you realize down the line. So some girls are got like that too. Yeah. And it's, it's so difficult when you have very identified problems that these programs and these systems are just not solving in any way. And then someone approaches you and says, I have the solutions to all of your problems. Here's the exchange. Yeah, you got to do a little more bad thing, but we're going to get you, because they, they only could get you here. I'm going to get you here, but we got to do these little things that's probably not the best things, but honey, uh, we gonna, after that, you're only going to have to do it for this time. As soon as we get in here, then we're going to good. And it's just a lie, you know, it just lied to me. And I was just like, and then sometimes it's too late. You'd be like, oh my God, what am I doing? This is not even my personality. Like I would never think I would do these things, but I have, I'm desperate for my children. I'm not thinking about what I'm doing. Like my body is dead now. Like, I don't care. I was like my kids. Yeah. So that's like, we're going to be, I'm tired of not seeing my kids at this point, you know, yeah. not having a place that they could come. Like I'm only supposed to be here getting my feet and I'm supposed to have an apartment already. And I'm supposed to be, have my kids. Supposed to get my th- so it's like, now all that is shot down. So now I got to think of something else. And then he brings this up and I'm just like, okay, he loves me. Oh my God. He's not going to judge me. Like, I'm going to just do this stuff real quick. And play it down because it's survival. Well, yeah, and like, that's, like that's he, like preying on those things. Yeah. Like he's I'm, not, he's not stupid, right? Like people who exploit people, like they, they, no. they see like what you need and they'll just like hit it over and over. And like, as a, as a mother, like the, needing to be with your kids and and protect your kids and provide for that's a very strong like core yeah. guttural like it's almost primal like that drive and for him to be like hitting on that mm-hmm. is i mean i can't say like yeah i would do anything for yeah, my for my kid at that point you'd be like damn that's and then you're thinking it i was like that sounds like a great plan <laughs> sure a plan terrible with plan. the alternative I'm like, yeah. And then we'll just, he's like, yeah, man, like, forget them. And he's like, man, look, I got you. Okay, come on. I'm like, all right, all right, great. You know, then, you know, of course, like, they can you dinner, make you feel good, take you shopping. So it's like, it's a false thing. But the thing is, I'm not from LA. I'm from, I'm green as heck. I'm from San Bernardino. I got here on a train with the $6. Yeah, my pastor in San Bernardino was like, this is a great place for resources. Absolutely right. Absolutely correct. But the men here will prey on. They know you're from San Bernardino. You don't know how to get this money. You don't know nothing about this exploitation life. Let me come on over here. Oh, you know, so it was really easy for him to get me. It was really easy. Yeah. But I had to, I had to quickly learn. <laughs> I quickly started to look around. I was like, oh my God. You know, then it was another girl I was told about. It. I was like, wait a minute. Then it's like one lady finally said it. She's like, are you dumb or what? He's a this. And I'm like, 
he's an exploiter. He's not your boyfriend. I was like, oh my God. She was like, he has about six of them, girl. I was like, oh my God. And mm-hmm. I was like, then that's what I started to learn. And I was just like, and then, yeah. So then when I started to voice it, and then the real man came out, the real exploiter come out. Here comes the criminal. And now he's like, I'll bust your mouth open. So that's why I lost all six of my teeth down here. I had to swallow my teeth. You know what I'm saying? I had to get bridge and pour it up, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, it's like you won't ever see your kids you know then the real stuff comes out you know you you go guess what i said you won't never see him because you'll be dead and i'm just like oh my god and you just gotta come to the point where you don't care no more you know i just got to the point where i'm not scared anymore. i'm just gonna run oh well well then at least i'm gonna die and see my kids first mm-hmm. I, I thought that's when i got to the point where i'm like i don't even care about the threats anymore right. i'll see my kids before i die i just don't see my kids go ahead mm-hmm. and kill me whatever then you know and then it's like um then you just uh you get a strength i just got i just got so angry to where i didn't care anymore yeah I, that's wow. how bad i want to see my kids like okay you gonna kill me at least i'm gonna see them a week before you kill me. <laughs> you know it's like whatever you know yeah. but some people are afraid and they don't want that and they'll just stay there sure so it really depends on you and then you go to a police station and they give you a pamphlet and they don't ask for a report on where your exploiter is. Yeah, so that's what the thing was. I was just like, you don't want to hear anything? You don't want to try to help me get him because he's threatening me? He was like, uh... That's what he said. He was like, he had... I, I keep doing because I'll never forget it. He had a tan on his chin. He said, uh... So what he was doing, he was like literally looking through my body to see if he could see any type of flawless lie. And that's what I felt. He was like, uh... I honestly don't know anything about that. Um, but... I'm going to tell you one thing. I do know that across the street, they could probably help you a lot better than I can. He's like, it's right here. It's the, and he handed me a pamphlet. And that's exactly what happened. I was literally in there. I wish I could get video coverage from that day because I was literally in there for two minutes. That's how quickly I got asked to leave. Like, not asked to leave, but you know, like shunned away. Like, here you go to the next place. I was literally in the police office I mean, police station for like two minutes. If y'all can run back that day in that video, sometimes I'll be sitting there like, I wish I could get that video we walking mm. <laughs> that same day. I wish I wish I knew what day and time that was because uh, I was like, yeah, run the video. Oh, yeah, she was in there for two minutes. Mm. Wow. Then no one asked me anything. He didn't ask me anything. He didn't ask me one question. Nothing. It's a total failure on his part. A complete and total failure. <sighs> Well, you've certainly illustrated a really full picture of how all of these vulnerabilities can come together, whether it's having a background of, you know, family addiction or being in poverty or living on Skid Row or coming across um, broken systems in our government and in programming and racial biases, all of these things coming together for, you know, a supposed boyfriend to say, I can solve all your problems for you. Yeah. I think that it's really critical to know how many things can come together to make people vulnerable and to particularly to make black women and girls vulnerable to being exploited. And I'm not sure if our community like has that full picture. So I really appreciate you spending a lot of time describing these situations that either you personally experienced or that you've seen other folks experience because these have been environments that have been similar to yours. Um, I think there's just a lot to learn 
from this. And I know that you've expressed how you want to mentor other girls, which is really incredible, uh, so that they don't experience the same things that you've experienced or people you know have experienced. And you have told us a little bit about a braid bar that you have dreamed up. And I'd love to hear about. It's going um, to happen. I'm working on that. So right now it's like, it's being conceived right now. So, but my braid bar is going to be amazing because I'm not only going to offer services to the community of, you know, hair or employing girls and um, gentlemen to come and do hair, but I want to offer like in the back, like a mentorship program as well. And what that's going to entail is like education that I did not receive as a child um, um, or to my community, through my community, because I was in a poverty uh, stricken area um, with people that weren't educated. Right. So I want to go talk to these detention centers. I want to let um, inner city schools know I want to go speak when I do open this place to let them know this place is going to be a haven for you guys to learn these things and these tools to help you get out of these environment. And this will, maybe you have to live here, but your mind isn't going to be here. I just don't want people to feel like, cause they live there, that their mind has to be there, that they can get out of that. They can get a chance to get out of that environment. If they do, um, if they um, stay out of trouble and educate themselves financially, your credit is everything credit uh, education is really important in our community because we do not know how to um, survive off our credit, which is, or educate us about our credit, which is really important. They don't teach them that. And I want to teach, I want to have um, all those classes like in the back, you know, optional for people that want to join or whatever. Or let's say instead of sending this detention person to a juvie, let them have to come to do these type of classes somewhere, you know, um, instead of sending off this kid, you know, to go to jail and she's a woman, if she's a girl, let her come and learn and have to work in my shop, you know? Um, don't worry about what she's doing. I'll deal with her. Don't worry about it. Just let her be able to come. I think those are the things that they need instead of throwing them in juvenile hall and stuff like that. Like, they need to go somewhere to be around someone that they can learn from and have a different... Because that's what they're going to learn in juvenile hall, how to be a, a better criminal when they get out. You're going to throw them back in there? That's not going to help them. If they're in trouble... Send them somewhere where they can learn how to be a better person mm-hmm. or a smarter person, a, a more successful person. Then you're not going to have them, you know, being a menace to society. So if anybody yes. wants to help me, we can make no plan. Okay. <laughs> we're manifesting it. But yeah, we're manifesting it. It's happening. I'm just doing one thing at a time. I'm getting myself all the way set for it. Mentally, it's everything. So, mm-hmm. um, but it's going to happen. I don't know how it is going to happen, but it's going to happen. And it's really, um, it's really beautiful that you're giving them an opportunity for dignified work, that they can they can see, you know, my time and my skills are valued, and I am doing a job that I respect and a career that I can build. It's really incredible. Um, so, Larish, the name of the podcast is "Think Survivors Wish You Knew," and I'd love to know as we wrap up um, one thing you wish people knew about abuse and exploitation? Um, What I wish people knew about abuse and exploitation is that everybody is not lying, okay? If they are, so what? Like, just still help everybody the same. 
Because guess what? Even if they're lying, sometimes they might change. Okay. So just help everybody regardless. People are still not going to do it if they don't need it in some capacity. I don't care if they're lying or not. They need, they're there for a reason. They need some help. So that's why first thing I want people to know. I also want people to know that they should not judge um, according to the what they see in front of them. Okay. Um, um, try to help more in the community volunteer more people need to go to steer row more here in la if you have the means to do it don't be afraid of that place go down there and try to do more community help the community needs people's help more if you are smart in something if you can help someone um with their legal situation pro bono if you can help someone just feel better if you are in service if you're really smart in any type of way that can help someone financially Anything you have a skill in and you can help someone be a better person, please go and try to find a program somewhere to share that for free. Mm-hmm. And then we can do a lot more with that because people help me in all those areas. I had a pro bono lawyer. Uh, I had a, a, a firm that cared about me and helped me get all that stuff off my record. That also helped me. Some of these women rock around here. Also, African-American women are the, disproportionately have records. Yeah. And it, it makes you feel like a crap. And so you keep doing, you can't get a job. So and then you can't get part, you can't get anything. So, you know, so we need more also legal help for these women, you guys. If we could get more lawyers to help the, um, these exploited people, people, not just women, people. So we need them to, because um, that is a big wear on your on your self-esteem, knowing that you made a mistake some years ago and that you can't move forward um, with a better job or even getting a license. Is Some people can't even get a license because they have these things, okay? Mm. Which could change their lives. It changed my life. I would, if I still had this felony on me, I wouldn't be here. Mm. I couldn't, I couldn't uh, you know, or I would have to do it in a, another way that was more harsh, which mm-hmm. I had to lie and get and sneak around and do it so those are what i want y'all to know we need a little bit more help with the people that got the knowledge okay guys we can share some knowledge help some people pro bono that's what i want everyone to know today Mm. Mm -hmm. thank you so much yes yep yeah so let you guys know that they can contact me on my website for um if they need mentorship. I'm just gonna mention the website is www.cococeoclub.com. I'm gonna teach these girls how to be CEOs. I love it. Club. Will you also tell us about your business? Because you have an amazing business. I want to make sure we we uh will do a plug. I am a licensed stylist. I'm on South Sea, so you guys can also reach me on Instagram. I'll give Blights, all that information, and I'm sure you could put it in, um, you know, some information that they can read. But for the most part, I um, I am a hairstylist, guys, but I also educate. I educate. Um, I have classes in different areas, which is financial areas, credit um, improvement, mentorship as far as how to get your business going. Um, I'm very well educated in that now. And then um, also hair services. So I do classes on how to braid if you need to learn how to braid and just teaching the girls a trade that they don't have to use their bodies to make money. They can actually make more money doing hair. I make a lot of money doing hair. So, and I just beauty, like I have also education. Um, like if you want to do, um, you know, if you want to work in the shop in, in another way, clerically, um, assisting, 
Um, so yeah, so I am doing mentorships with all of those. Also speaking, if anyone wants me to speak, I also speak at Paul Mitchell schools. I have helped raise money for telling my story. So I'm also available for speaking to help at detention centers. Um, if you guys are having problems with like schools, I, I'm also open to speak and share my story. Um, sometimes kids like to hear where people come from that's the same problem that they had and they trust that a little bit more and they will listen a little more to someone who's been through the same thing that they've yeah. been through. So also I just want that to be known that I do that as well. Speak, speak, speak. So if you guys need me to speak, I will come speak. <laughs> Amazing. Thanks, mm-hmm. Larish. Thank you. You are truly an inspiration and like one of the strongest people I've ever met, I think. So just thank you for it's sharing with us. Thank you. God is in me and I am very blessed and I'm honored to be on Dress Denver's podcast. You guys, uh, this is so cool. And thank you, <laughs> Life and Stephanie, for you guys' work as well. You guys are super cool. And thank you on behalf of everyone out here that is being exploited, that is being abused. Thank you. We want to thank you guys for um, taking the time to help mm. improve our lives. Mm. Okay. Wow. It's really good to be in community with you and with so many others. Yes. We're going to be doing some things. We are doing things and we're going to continue to do things to help. Yes, it works. It does work. You just got to keep going. Amen. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Things Survivors Wish You Knew, a Dressember podcast. We are all needed in the fight against human trafficking. And Dressember is here to equip and empower you to advocate for the dignity of all people. We host a style challenge every December where people pledge to wear a dress or tie for 31 days. The style challenge provides a fun, impactful way for even the busiest person to engage in this important issue. And it's proven to be a powerful way to raise awareness and vital funding for anti-trafficking work. Since 2013, thousands of advocates have raised roughly $16 million to fight human trafficking from every angle around the world. This year is the 10th anniversary of the Dressember Style Challenge, and we need your advocacy to help make our biggest impact to date. You can join the Dressember community in the fight against human trafficking at dressember.org slash fundraise, or learn more at dressember.org slash how it works. And remember, it's bigger than a dress.